Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Hello, my name is Cindy Ann Thomas. I'm a principal with Littler and a co-chair of our firm's EEO and diversity practice group. I partner with our clients in the diversity and inclusion space with a focus on advising on as well as developing and providing legally compliant training and education initiatives. Well, it's hard to believe, but we reached the one year anniversary this month since we began to take shelter when the novel coronavirus made its unwelcome foray into our borders. At that time, the now familiar three-tiered refrain of wear a mask, wash your hands, and stay six feet apart was in its mere infancy. For those fortunate few in the workforce, in the minority to be sure, who could work from home, our newly minted IT departments overhauled businesses and shipped entire home offices to us so that our respective business models were refashioned practically overnight, it seemed. Personal and business lives now merged your home with your tribes were your new dedicated safe space. Happy hours on hiatus, connecting over coffee, suspended, simple everyday human linkages and cultural norms that we used to take for granted were suddenly and cruelly paused. Human isolation and segregation was now vital for survival. Survival. Our lives as we knew them were suddenly upended. Of course, help is now here. According to the most up-to-date report, Americans are getting about 2.3 million shots a day. We are on the threshold of nationwide vaccinations for all by mid-year. Social reentry is formally in process, more aggressively in some regions than in others, but we are not quite out of the woods yet. And while I am aware of the interests that link most of my dedicated listeners out there, the kinds of challenges to inclusion that I am talking about today transcend everything and everybody. And as a warning to our listeners, don't be perturbed if you may have more questions than answers by the end of this program, because we are all navigating the task of reconnection together. So whether or not you are a legal professional, a business leader, an HR manager, a DE&I executive, or just a human being, located somewhere in our pandemic-plagued universe who has simply stumbled across this podcast in search of a candid dialogue about inclusion in the era of COVID-19, welcome to the show. And to have that dialogue, I have invited none other than Enidio Miguel, the Managing Director and Founder of the Multicultural Institute. Enidio, my cherished friend, and rock of Gibraltar, my trusted diversity and inclusion business collaborator who hails from Austin, Texas, holds a cross-cultural psychology degree as well 
as a master's degree in spiritual psychology. He is the author of articles that include How to Raise Unbiased Children and Strength in Diversity, How Well-Managed Cultural Training Programs Can Turn Conflict into Profits. In Edio, I simply cannot tell you how thrilled I am for us to be able to connect, if even remotely, for this conversation. Thank you, Cindy Ann. You're always way too kind, and I've always enjoyed these check-ins uh, with one another. It's what keeps me sane, and also just the uh, friendship that we've shared over the years. This is just going to be an ongoing conversation of what we started about 20 years ago with a different lens to it. So I appreciate the invitation, and it's like food when you're hungry. Just want to get more of. So thank you for the invite. Absolutely. And Anidio, thank you in advance in so many ways for joining me for what I know will be a welcome sanity check of sorts, not just for our listeners, but candidly for both of us, because this conversation, this podcast is proof that even DNI professionals get the blues, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I got to tell you, it's also brought about a um, headwind to what we have been encouraging for so many years, which is link to others, build community, reach out more intentionally with others. And all of a sudden, everything that we have spoken about has been tested. And it has also given us an opportunity, at least for me, to relook and rethink what are we promoting, how are we promoting, and how can we use this opportunity to really look at inclusion as a way out of this whole dynamic that for me, and, and I know for you because we've had this conversation with us, has been just uh, absolutely new territory. So it's really uh, right now, not only the blues, but also kind of dusting off some of the rust that comes with just being complacent with where you are, with your level of comfort, et cetera. So I, I welcome this opportunity to, to really think through, what is it gonna look like? Absolutely. And before we do that though, Anidio, let's, let's take a look back of sorts. Let's time warp to March 11th, 2020 to be exact. And this was the date when the World Health Organization first declared COVID-19 a pandemic, of course. And then the travel bans, the work from home mandates, uh, hair salon, restaurant, gym, bar closures, a cancellation of life's normal tasks and social pleasures. And you and I both travel so much as a result of, of what we do. Where were you and what were your first thoughts and reactions? Because when I first heard it, I thought, yippee, goodbye, kitten heels and luggage for a few weeks, right? Maybe. <laughs> yes, and look where we are as we speak. Ironically, I was a presenter at an international conference on inclusion in the Caribbean, in St. Martin, as a matter of fact. And it was a congregation of approximately 10,000 people that were descending onto the island from Europe, uh, the Middle East, et cetera, Latin America. And it was a festival for a week. So I was there to speak about inclusion and, and it had 
a feeling when I started really thinking about what I was hearing on the news, because by that time, people were just questioning, you know, is this, is this going to get to America? Is it not, et cetera? It had a feeling of like a 9-11 experience where I was, ironically then too, I was delivering a workshop on religion during that day. And it was one of those out-of-body experiences where the worst thing that could happen happened. And that's, that's what I was feeling uh, when I was listening to the news. So to make a long story short, I decided to cut the trip short. I had a week worth of passes to the most incredible reggae bands and just uh, conference stuff that you know is always top notch in those situations. And I decided to come home. I decided to do my thing and just get on the next flight out. And in retrospect, it was a good decision because the European way was happening as as I was mingling with these folks. So that's where I was. How about you? I had aborted a flight to New York immediately and suddenly (laughs) for a, a business trip that was scheduled. And, you know, it, it wasn't long before that feeling of this is going to be neat for a few Mm -hmm. weeks to do everything virtually before I actually started missing that live and in-person connection piece Mm -hmm. to our work lives. You know, I used to be on a first name basis with my home airport TSA's agents crisscrossing the world at thousands of miles a week for meetings, red carpet, platinum chairman this, and executive extraordinaire that, right? Who was now suddenly commuting in fuzzy slippers from the bedroom to the living room (laughs) and then the home office, maybe to the deck if the weather was cooperating. So it was interesting, uh, suddenly feeling a bit downgraded. (laughs) Yeah. I went from 100 flights to three flights this year, and and they were very well thought out, well planned flights versus just the hustle and bustle of, of the business experience. And I have to tell you, though, that as I reflect back on the experience of all those privileges of, of being first aboard, of being, you know, given the red carpet treatment, et cetera, I, I was... We talk about this, but but it really does apply unconsciously competent. I was on automatic cruise control, unaware of the exclusion that was happening behind my line. And so what was interesting for me is that that privilege kept me from really looking at ways in which I could have probably shown up a little bit more inclusively because I didn't have to. I didn't, I didn't really have to. Uh, so although it came with a lot of perks, it, it also made me recognize just how that privilege blinded me to opportunities that I had around me that I'm, I'm a little bit more conscious about right now. Sure. And I don't know about you, Anidio, but I miss having those candid and random conversations with people from all over the world sitting beside yes. me in 2B. You know, that's been missing for a year. That connection that you would make with people who you had no idea you had anything in common with. And by the end of a two or four or eight hour plane ride, you had made all these connections. Yes. And and, and I think we're, we're 
both saying the same thing at some mm -hmm. level, that it's the experience of connection that I miss. I don't miss the flight. I don't miss necessarily the hotels. I don't miss <laughs> a lot of things. I just miss the experience of connecting with others that brought me some energy and just brought yes. me life. Yes, agreed. So then all of a sudden we had these new business environments. And and actually, let's, you know, let's just talk about these new business environments that we have that are, are virtual and remote and have been in now for a year. Again, hard to believe. But in person, during the facilitated dialogues that we both provide for companies, you know, we know when people have checked out, right? Whether they're on their phone or whether they may be doing other things or engaging in other conversations. You know, some of the traditional hallmarks of people not being there. But the virtual mode has really caused us to have to rethink what mindful inclusion has to look like, doesn't it? Because, you know, people who are not on camera, tiles that don't light up, tiles that try to light up, but there are more aggressive tiles out there <laughs> that, that don't let them ever light up. There are lessons here for business leaders who are facilitating uh, meetings when they are not physically with their teams, aren't there? I think you're absolutely right. There is, we, we've kind of traded stressors. Uh, right now, the technology stressor, the different platforms that you have to log into in order to connect with other folks have, has created just the pressure that we start off just full. And I have always advocated this pre-COVID, but there are opportunities even now as we speak about what the experience is going to look like moving forward to really let some of that pressure out. It's like pressing on the top of an aerosol can and just dispensing whatever's inside for a little bit, right? And I had done inclusion check-ins periodically in the past to just let people, just, just let some of that stress out before we even talk about what we're going to talk about. So I think that the experience of inclusion will be better served if we provide some space for relationships to connect with one another before we even attempt to get on the agenda. And and we're talking about, you know, a webinar where, where there's educational objectives, et cetera, but it could just be a simple meeting. Just how are you doing today? Let some of that pressure out, if at all possible. Yes. Yes, I agree. You know, some something else when I think about these new business environments that we're uh, navigating in EDO is how biases are coming in different forms, stigmatizing, othering is showing up in new ways. I don't know if you've noticed that, but, you know, for instance, who's got the cool backgrounds and, and the interesting home decor, right? Or those who are really polished, maybe have a TV anchor-like on-screen personality uh, and, and, and speaking and versus those who are a little bit more uncomfortable speaking into the white light and, and more camera shy. Who's got the hiccup-free internet connections versus those who are plagued by freezes or the underground tunnel echoes, right? And who's not getting called upon 
as a result of that othering that's going on or the gender bias for parenting, right? Uh, is it annoying when a mother is trying to discipline her kids hanging around her neck, but oh, so adorable when a father who is Zoom bombed and is just trying to manage it all, right? It definitely has brought up some below the waterline dimensions that we never really consider when we think about diversity, because generally is, you know, just what we see at the tip. And now we're given entry into other icebergs, the, the bottom of people's icebergs. And it definitely does create some distractions. And I've been there. I've been there where the when the dog starts barking or when, you know, suddenly something happens. So right. there's a certain amount of um, uh, commonness that we begin to have with one another as a result of seeing a life that mirrors my life. So there's, uh, there's that glue. I'll, I'll, I'll call it that. It's, it's a glue and, and a distraction at the same time. Well, just hearing you say that, Anidio, makes me feel better because marginalization in this new business forum is real. That's a fact. Anidio, I want to segue a little bit to bubbles and pods and tribes. Our worlds have gotten so small. Uh, we have had to resort to tribes and these COVID-free social bubbles and pods as a sheer survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And there have been so few escapes for so many people to connect with others in person. And because we as human beings are social animals at our core, having to master the art of isolation has not felt natural or normal. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I reflect back on you know, Maslow's gift to us and the hierarchy of needs. And, you know, at, at the very bottom is, is your basic food and survival. But then a couple of rungs up is community and belonging. Mm -hmm. And when you infect, and I'll use that word very purposely, when you infect that safety that we, it's a must, not just the one, but it's a, it's a must in order for us to truly self-actualize. A lot of things start tumbling down, confidence. The lack of awareness of the skill set that I'm missing in order to connect in a very different way. I mean, you know, his, my family of origin as, as a Latino, we hug, we kiss, that, that's, our, that's our touch point, that's our connected. And when I see my sister and she has to be six foot distance from me and wearing a mask, I don't know what to do. I feel just inept in being able to connect. So it's real. It, it gives us a sense of sadness that we're not able to do the things that ordinarily would bring us joy when we meet one another. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a whole lot in there, that's for sure. It's, it's brutal. And I have really spent the past year thinking about the effects of COVID on people, you know, as a result of being relegated to these bubbles, wondering about specific populations. I mean, you mentioned the fact that that is unnatural, right, in the in the Latino population. That's not, that's not who you are. There are some other people that I really uh, have been thinking a lot about, Anidio. I've got to tell you, almost at the, the top of the list are, are the elderly. I 
have been thinking about people living with disabilities and who tend to already be isolated in so many ways without a pandemic. People who have experienced death and grieving processes uh, alone and, and in their bubbles. I think about single parents with remote learning or homeschooled children. I think about, frankly, Asian American children whose parents plan to keep homeschooling them long after schools have been reopened because they feel compelled to protect them from the spike in hate crimes aimed at them for the kind of xenophobia that continues to taint conversations around the origins of coronavirus. You know, those are some of the marginalized communities that I think about. I think about single people. And in fact, you know what, Anidio, as I think about it, I think about married couples because one year in, I know that some of you in this bucket out there have glanced at your retired or also working from home significant other, gnashing your teeth, wondering why are they blinking so loudly? <laughs> right? Oh, no. I know. I know. Just, just, and that's just the one side of the coin. And the, the folks that you mentioned, the ones that have been marginalized, have so much to offer when we think about their courage, their ability to have backups and more backups and more backups because systems have been failing them for so many years yes. that it is, it's really admirable. And, and, and I know that it takes a lot of effort to have others kind of feed us information about what it's like to be marginalized, I get that part. And at the same time, I just want to say thank you for your contributions to my awareness and my need to understand how to navigate in a world that doesn't necessarily favor you. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm really humbled and just want to tip off my hat to all of us who have been struggling with issues of inclusion and, and marginalization, just how, how do we get others to say, I'm your ally now, because I'm totally getting a little peek, a better peek at what life is like yes. without all of those conveniences that we just take for granted, privileges. Yes. So, you know, Absolutely. Warren Buffett once said that when the tide rolls out, we get to see who's been swimming naked. And there has been an awful lot of people that have been swimming naked. And only when that tide has kind of rolled out or, and have I been able to see how many shifts a grocery store clerk has had to work in order for me, for me to buy food and feed me. And that they can't, as a result of working two and three jobs, they can't wait two or three hours to get a vaccine or a COVID test because yes. the system is not equipped for that kind of lifestyle. Yes. And, and so there's there's a certain amount of uh, just humbleness that that this has brought to my awareness. And and it's not pity, it's it's more just applause for for the folks that have gone through life with uh, some very different challenges. Yes. Thank you for 
bringing that to the conversation in EDU. I think that's important. And again, we are reminded from those examples that you just provided with respect to how privileged we are to be able to work at home. For those out there who uh, are listening, who can work from home, that has been extraordinary. We are part of a small part of the population who can do that in, in terms of the workforce. But on the flip side, Anidia, when did working from home and meetings by Zoom first start getting old for you? Uh, you know, when generally in-person trainings are, are one a day, right? You go in and you do your thing and, and you come back and connect and, and reconnect possibly the next day. The fact that we have learned to maximize our time by doing two, three, four Zoom meetings in a day, whether it's a training or just a meeting, it, it started becoming old for me when I recognized how much energy it takes to restart with a new group. It's this, this whole energy that you create in person that sustains you throughout the day, but virtually you, you don't have that sustainability and you have to recreate it every meeting, every Zoom call. And, and that's when I started feeling uh, the stress and, and the wish that we would have had more time with one another in order to get that energy that sustained me. So that, that was another piece of aha. Yes. That, uh, I, I started just recognizing for myself. Yeah. yeah. You know, it got old for me when I realized that working from home was very different from working from home during a pandemic. It's not the same thing. There are no mm. clear lines between the two domains with the latter. Every day is Blur's day, right? There's no decompression time while you're taxiing on the runway or while you're in your Uber home from the airport or listening to a few songs to and from work. Yes. So that amalgamation, if you will, of the two worlds, again, because of sheer survival, that's not the same as work-life balance. And that started to hit me personally quite early on. Yeah, it, it's absolutely true. And I think we're going to have a, uh, uh, a harder time uh, re-engaging when we do go back to a new normal. And I remember working with a lot of expats about, oh, you know, eight, nine years ago, a chunk of my practice was helping folks integrate themselves into a new culture. And we spent an awful lot of time talking about the entry and not enough time about the re-entry. And I think that it's really important right now for all of us to pay attention to the re-entry of our communities, work communities, so that we are given tools to be able to navigate through that, what what's literally known as cultural shock. I mean, that, that little pizza place down the street that is now closed and I don't have access to, it, it's a loss, right? That, that same person that I used to go and say hello to at the grocery store, they're no longer there. And so there's, there's been a lot of losses along the way. And expats experience that when they return, we're a new creation. 
we have had an incredible experience, in this case, a COVID experience. Yeah. So how, how are we going to make it work for us, right? In a sense of giving us strength and giving us more enthusiasm for the reentry part. Right. And we, and we will have to work uh, very hard at that because, you know what, I think about the issues of outsiderness and the isolation and the trust that has been eroded because COVID has naturally made everybody suspicious of everything and everybody. Othering is so much more common now. It's not just about generation or race or education or communication style. Outsider labeling is anyone who you can't be sure is 100% COVID free. And sometimes that anxiety is easily lobbed against a a spouse who has been gone too long or a visiting stepchild who co-resides with another parent. Where have you been? Did you wash your hands? Let me wash your mask. Distrust uh, erupts among those in our very own tribes, people who look like us or think like us, uh, let alone co-workers or strangers. On this issue of trust, you know, breath-holding literally has become an activity that most of us now do almost absent-mindedly, right, as fellow consumers passing one another in a grocery aisle or pedestrians on the street. We've taken a hard pass on sidewalks and take our chances on walking or jogging on the road. It's safer to risk being hit by a car than having to come within half a foot of another human being who may or may not have COVID or who may or may not have been vaccinated or who may be an anti-vaxxer. Yes. We're literally running away from each other. Yes, yes. And it's, and it's very equivalent to that X in algebra. It was the variable. It was the unknown. We're walking around with a bunch of X's in our head. And, you know, one one strategy that I know has helped with expats, and I go back to those experiences because it's very similar. You you go in have having a shocking experience sometimes, and then you have to come back to to a life that you, you thought you knew and understood. And that's having a buddy. It's you're my buddy. When when I can call you, Cindy Ann, and say, you know, I don't know what to do because I don't want to shake hands but I don't want people to see me as unfriendly. What do you think? Am I going crazy? Am I going nuts? And for someone to say, you know, that's just kind of the way that people expect greetings to be. And and kind of bring me down from that ledge of I don't want to have a misstep, particularly in the relational world. So when I have that ability to talk things through with someone else, it it brings me back to, to normal. You know, it's a reset. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm, I'm going to count on you, continue to count on you to be my re-entry buddy in this whole COVID experience. Emilio, I will continue to count on you as well. We've got a buddy system. So for anybody listening, a buddy system is a good idea because yes. we've just gotten so good, unfortunately, at disconnecting. And on that point, I remember a few months ago, I witnessed a woman who may have been in her late 60s fall right in front of me on the street. And there were a lot of other people around because it was adjacent to a parking lot of a country club. And nobody went to help her. Her knees were bloodied. That's how hard she fell. But the people immediately around froze, apparently not sure what to do 
in our new normal. Helping her up would involve breaching the six-foot perimeter and worse yet, touch, right? I mean, that's how good we've gotten at disconnecting. It was, a, it was an alarming data point for me, I have to tell you. And it's, it's yes. as if a year of mastering the art of seclusion has desensitized us somehow. I get yes. that touch and air are now potentially deadly, but it saddened me. I was not the closest person to her, but I ran over, I helped her up, and it just, it is a memory that will never go away with respect to how much isolationism Mm -hmm. has affected all of us. I can recall a similar instance where someone dropped their keys in the grocery store and normally I would just bend down, pick it up and give it back to the person. And this time I paused and and didn't, right? And so some of the ways in which I have measured respect, I have measured caring has just been interrupted. Humanity. Uh, And yes, yes. And and I've had to like rethink of, of the choices that I automatically would have made. But yeah, I think you're onto something because that isolationist part of habit that we have created has carved a pathway in our brain. It's like it's created its own pathway that just like when you and I talk about the fast brain, if we're not really careful at reconnecting back some of those other pathways by by taking small steps, you know, three foot toss. You don't have to do an 18 footer, but but the more three footers that you make, the more confident you begin to feel and the neuro, just the neuro kind of wiring that was now dull becomes alive again. So I would encourage myself to take educated and healthy choices, but sometimes leaning into the discomfort, you know, a little bit with with some measured risk is probably gonna empower me versus disempower me. Because I can't tell you the number of times that I beat myself up for not picking up those car keys. Mm. So is, is my experience gonna be a catalyst to grow and evolve or am I gonna use it to beat myself up? And right. so I'm, I'm thinking very much about those three footers that, that are measured and safe in order to re-engage those, that pathway that, that it's been lazy. Right. Absolutely. We have to fight a little harder at this avoidance culture that we have really cultivated and what that's going to look like with respect to how we interact with people. Again, not only people who remind us of ourselves, but how much further we may have to go with people whom we don't have as much in common. Yeah. Or who don't remind us of ourselves. Yeah. And, and I really feel like if we look at the diversity from the lens of, I can learn something new. And we always have had that encouragement for others. You know, look at diversity as as a learning tool versus an inconvenience or an interruption or anything like that. But but even as we speak and, and we've learned, I've learned so much about others because of this experience, I, I'm really much more eager, passionately about reaching into others' minds and say, 
help me understand this a little bit more. Help me understand what I could have done differently. So, so I'm seeking the feedback because I see so much more value in, in the diversity that, that has shown up in all the many ways that we, we've already spoken about, you know, family structure and privileges and lack of and all those kinds of things is a wealth of, it's a treasure just waiting to be discovered. Agreed. You know, last Thursday, Anidio, I, I thought of you when I saw a, a new report that was released on stress in America. It was published by the American Psychological Association. And in thinking about our discussion that we were going to have today, I was so surprised when in that report, more than half of the respondents reported feeling worried about resuming close interactions with others. And most interestingly, even the vaccine could not change that uneasiness. 48% of those who have been vaccinated expressed angst about being around others when the pandemic ends, compared to 49% of unvaccinated people. In other words, virtually no difference with respect to how people feel about reconnecting. Yeah, yeah. What a sobering and, report. Uh, absolutely, and, and it, it would be easier to stay in those patterns because we're beginning to learn the rules of living disconnected. And there's that risk that once we, you know, the cocooning effect, you, you've heard that, you know, term for many, many years, and this has just expedited it, where we just get more and more and more into our bubble. And we could easily stay there because Amazon will show up and we can order, you know, groceries online and there's mm -hmm. no need to connect. So if we look at what you just said from the bottom rung of, of Maslow's hierarchy of need, you know, just, just survivability, we don't need anybody else. We don't need to connect physically okay. with others in order to stay there. So the same thing that I felt we lost that sense of community is going to be the entry point back because only through that community am i able to not only re-engage with life but i'm also able to uh expand my bandwidth as an individual as a human being etc and 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 you know that we just went through in, in texas through a tremendous you know ice storm and all that and yes. it was that personal responsibility to one another that got us through. And without that community, me knocking on neighbors' doors, they asking us, do we need anything? Without that, I don't feel like people will have the need to re-engage physically because you don't have to any longer. But but that that just brought me back to there's not only beauty in that, but there is tremendous self-satisfaction by feeling like the community has your back and that yes. people are not systems, but people can influence whether you feel you're part of something or whether you're still in your bubble or, or in your cocoon. So yes. I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic that, you know, we'll, we'll rekindle that spirit. I hope so, Enidio, because you know, I know that I warned our listeners that they would probably have more 
questions than answers, but I still want us to see if we could provide some practical tools, you know, a year in with possibly another four to eight months to go, depending on what model you believe, what can we start doing to get ready for emergence as we try to reverse these seclusionary skills that we've mastered and re-energize our efforts in outreach and inclusion. Anidio, you you started taking us there and and just, you know, for the record and for what it's worth and as, as an example, I have noticed that I have been engaging in what I call mask annotation. It's a simple step, but I've called it mask annotation. So when I enter a store or a gas station, for instance, I have been practicing saying, hi, you can't see it, but I'm smiling at you from behind this mask. It takes some time out of my schedule to do that, of course, but I'm trying to be really intentional about making up for the fact that people can't see what we used to take for granted. Sharing a gesture that was understood as a small way to include or welcome people, a smile, because masks are here to stay for a while. I'm personally practicing compensating for that fashion accessory that we will all have. I, I really can't wait to see the fashion accessories that are gonna <laughs> be just in full display uh, because of need, right? Here Absolutely. You. I mean you you know me. I'm 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 the first to admit that I have pandemic dresses. These are dresses that come with masks attached. Yes, they are available. They're out there. And it would have taken me to find them, right, Anidio? You know me. <laughs> and, and I'm glad I'm glad you have enthusiasm for showing up in a way that is just you, right? It's, it's you. But I'm making sure, Anidio, that regardless of how much I may be embracing pandemic fashion, that they are coming with my version of closed captions. I am trying to compensate for the mask by letting people know or or waving or going out of my way to be more expressive with my eyebrows so that I can show that I'm smiling with my eyes. Half of our faces are covered. That's a small example of what I am trying to be mindful about as we all work on re-entry. Absolutely. So. And, and, and I think that, you know, if I go back to some of the tenets of spiritual psychology, intention is the first thing you need to answer before you do anything. What's my intention in this situation? Is it my intention to show up friendly when they can't see my smile because I'm masked up? Is it my intention to make you feel like you belong even though I may not look like the person that would do that for you. And and so intentionality is gonna become uh, one way forward where we really have to, and and, I mean, just like there hasn't been a COVID experience that's similar from one another, we're gonna have multiple ways of this re-entry, but if at a minimum, we can think about what are we trying to accomplish in yes. this moment, as I go into a grocery store, as I go back into, you know, the office, et cetera, then that's going to help us kind of clean up any of the judgments that come with just being on automatic. And yes. I also feel that 
if we begin to evaluate situations more than judging situations, then it's going to open us up to a field of opportunities that we may not have been considered because in evaluation, we're open. We're open to seeing how, how can I make you feel better? How can you, you know, I, I miss that. But yes. when we approach it from a judgment standpoint, we close ourselves up and we just show up. So for me, intention is, is one big uh, helping factor in bringing me out of this fear into a point of more comfort with, with others. Anidio, I am so happy that we are both eternal optimists in this space and know that there is room for unlearning these behaviors that we have become so good at mastering over the course of the last year of isolation and segregation. I definitely believe in the neuroplasticity of our brains to be able to really go back to uh, some of the efforts that many of us, both organizationally and personally, were making in this space. So, Anidio, parting thoughts in this space. We have to reconnect, not with just the word inclusion, but the spirit of inclusion what it feels like to be included, what's in it for me when I feel like I belong with others? What, what do I gain and, and how do others benefit as well? So the spirit of inclusion is, it, it has to come from the heart. You, you can't rationalize it, you have to feel it, you have to experience it. And only through the care, compassion, and concern that, that I can keep top of mind will I be able to not only learn from the past, but also bring forward a new Anidio. It's literally a, a new person is going to show up. When I have my first in-person meeting, it, it's going to be a new person. And that new person, if I can just go back, you know how like when you go run back home because you forgot something, if, if I can just run back to the COVID experience periodically in my future because I forgot to what it's like to be a person that has to work three jobs or I forgot what it's like to be lonely and elderly and not have anyone to reach out. If I can go back and pick that up, then I think think that's going to be the gift and also my ability to show up in the world a little better than before March 15th of 2020. Enidio, I cannot tell you how much I treasure your friendship, uh, your partnership, your wisdom, and your passion for this space. Thank you, you have been my inspiration as well because we think about it, talk about it, and now we're trying to recreate the experience that we know is the way out. Uh, yes. So thank you very much. Once again, Emilio Miguel, the Managing Director and Founder of the Multicultural Institute, thank you. Inidio, for taking the time to share your thoughts on inclusion interrupted and on reconnecting post-COVID. 
It was a real gift for me. So thank you very, very much. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast just half as much as I have enjoyed bringing it to you. Please feel free to reach out to us at podcasts at littler.com. If you should have any questions about this episode, or if you would like to discuss any component of your organization's needs with me or another Littler attorney. Thanks for listening. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.